Okay, let's get started. Time's running on. If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church. Very warm welcome to you. Uh, we're going to be carrying on our series of Proverbs um, today. So find Proverbs chapter 1. Before we do that, in, let me just talk about something else. I've got um, two little boys at home that I love. You may have seen them down here this morning. And since having children, I've discovered things about children I didn't know since before having children. And one of them is that children, I can only describe it, has, uh, have a magnet in them. And the magnet draws them to certain things, like irresistibly. And for my children, some of those things that they are drawn to irresistibly are puddles, uh, mud, anything high, uh, and generally things that would threaten their life, uh, basically. That's what they are. And there was an incident a while about, I remember when, before Asher was born, our eldest son, Levi, he was only a couple of years old. And if you know anything about Levi, since he was very small... He's been, one of the things he's displayed is he has been active. He has moved, walked very quickly, crawled very quickly, walked very quickly, ran very quickly. We were just joking the other day that one of the things he used to do when he was only like about one and a half, two, he'd go out in the garden and he would yell at me, Daddy, I'm running. And he would just run around in circles. I mean, literally, just in circles, yelling, I'm running, Daddy, I'm running, Daddy, and go round and round and round and round for what seemed like an awful long time. So he always loved to run. Now, you get a problem when you take running quickly and then the other thing about being magnetic towards life-threatening situations because I remember a time when we were out uh, having a walk and we were with family and we had Levi and we were with uh, Mel's brother and their family and they had a little girl just a touch older and we were just out chatting and we're walking near a river when I say near a river it was over there we were far enough away from it but we knew there was a river over there, quite a deep, wide, fast-flowing river. But we were over here, and we had the kids, and we were just playing and chatting and um, you know, doing what we are doing. And we always kind of kept the kids this side of us. We were riverside, just in case. And then in amongst the chit-chat and the running and the moving around, we suddenly had that moment as parents when you realize, where's Levi? Oh, he's over there. He's now nearer the river than we are. And he looked at me, he grinned, and he started running towards the river. And he ran, and suddenly, I suddenly realized he can run quite fast, which made me proud. But then I realized he's running quite fast towards a river, which made me terrified. And as my son channeled Usain Bolt, he was literally flying towards this river. And there were four adults started yelling. And when your child is in that vein, boy, the volume goes up. Mel's brother is not quiet. And he was yelling Levi. I was yelling Levi. Mel was yelling Levi. And then I set, we set off after him. And I was going hell for leather trying to catch him. He had a bit of a lead on me and he can move. And so I'm charging after him and the river is getting closer and closer. And we are yelling and screaming, which is hard to do when you're running, by the way. But this is like top of my lung, throat burning, vein bursting, yelling, stop. If you hit that river... Best case scenario is you get soaking wet, get the fright of your life, I get wet and pull you out. Worst case, I don't even want to think about. If you hit the river, the weeds, everything else, the bank was quite high. So I'm pounding after him and he thinks this is fun because daddy is chasing him. And I'm yelling, stop, you don't realize the danger you're in. And we got closer and closer to the river and just before we kind of hit the river bank, I managed to kind of get a hand on him, kind of his hood his collar, and I yanked him. I mean, it was nothing gentle about it. It was literally that. And he flew backwards, kind of sprawled on the ground. And I kind of had to do a, got a roadrunner stop before I hit the edge and I went in. 
Um, but he was spread on the floor, and he was a bit upset with me that, Daddy, why did you throw me on the floor? And I'm like, why did I throw you on the floor? Let me tell you, my son. But the relief of the situation being averted kind of overcame it all. And the reality was he had no idea what he was doing. He had no idea the danger he was heading towards. He had no idea what could happen to him in that situation. He just, he just didn't have a clue. But we, standing there, the adults who are more life experienced, could see the potential, could see where he's heading for disaster if he tipped off the edge of that bank. And what we're going to look at in the next passage of Proverbs today is a bit like that. It's a bit like there's, there's people heading for disaster and they don't see what's happening. And there is a voice crying out telling them to stop, telling them to stop. So we've got into this... Um, uh, series on Proverbs. We looked at the first section, first few verses. We, we, we saw about um, the purpose of the book to teach people about life, teach about people about what's going on, um, to know knowledge, to know insight. It's an active thing. It's something you've got to learn. The whole book of Proverbs is all about learning about the nitty-gritty of life. How do we do life day by day? Often other parts of the Bible, it's all about this high calling, who God is, who we are. It's wonderful, very high. Proverbs is all about day to day. What do I do tomorrow? How do I act at work? How do I act with my neighbors? How do I handle my money? All these kind of things. And the first nine chapters are like an extended introduction, which we're going through at this point. So we've seen to the beginning of it, it talks about this is what it's about, to learn knowledge. And we get to verse 7, the most important verse in the whole book. I hope you've marked that in your Bible, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So actually having a humble relationship with God, where you're recognizing he's God, you're not, is the beginning of learning and growing in insight, in true knowledge of this world. And then last week, we looked at that next section um, where it's a basically the picture is of a parent, a dad, and a mum talking to their son, basically in the home, basically saying, Look, this is what life's like. This is what life's like. You're going to be tempted. People are going to try and draw you away and actually say, Don't do it because ultimately that ends in destruction. That will damage you. And there was the image of a trap. And people who live this kind of live for unjust gain, trying to big themselves up, push others down, whether it's stealing and destroying reputations, whatever it is, ultimately they'll come a reckoning and the trap will be set for themselves. So that's what we looked at so far. And so we're coming into chapter 1, verse 20. If you found it, I'm just going to read the next section to you. Verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. And I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you... And you've refused to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, 
and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Okay, the big idea today is Jesus is calling to you and if you reject him, one day he will reject you. Jesus is calling to you and if you reject him, one day he will reject you. Now the image of this passage um, has changed. The serious one was kind of the quiet um, in a home with a mom and a dad talking to their, their son and it's now moved out into kind of the world, if you will. And what we find in here is this wisdom that was available in the home from the parents teaching their child is now actually available to all of us. It's something that the world has on offer to them. It's not just for kind of maybe the elite, the scholar. It's for the man on the street. It's for everybody, this wisdom that's available. And the threat of death that we saw in the last passage where the parents were talking to their son, actually, if you act like this, you're going to destroy yourself. It's now actually been escalated to an eternal death that will come if you reject the voice of God, the voice of wisdom. And basically, the bottom line is there's a choice to be made. Wisdom or folly. That's the choice that is on offer. And there's no third way. And the reality is this is, the, this is actually the message of the Bible. This is the message of God himself speaking to us. What Jesus did when he came and he walked the earth, what did he call? He called sinners and he said, come, repent, come to me. That was the message. So I love you, I'm for you, I want to help you, I want to do good for you. Come to me, come to me. And those who ignored him, they kind of reap the rewards of that. And God shows a deep passion and a deep love for his people and saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. That's what's on offer and that's what's happening today. And we see... The first section here, the first couple of verses, is wisdom crying out. And this particular section, wisdom is personified as a lady, as a woman, standing there addressing. Now, this is unusual in the culture. Women didn't necessarily have a voice like this. And, but this woman is standing there, and she's preaching to the culture. And she's preaching in what you might consider an unladylike way. If we were going to use kind of modern language, we would describe her as a kind of hellfire preacher. There's nothing subtle, warm, or fuzzy about what she's saying. She's giving it both barrels to the people. And her voice rises above the din of daily life. The hustle and bustle of a city, everything that's going on, the noise, daily life, work, business, family, etc. Her voice breaks in and goes above it. She's yelling at them, speaking loudly. And she doesn't wait for her audience to come to her. She's not closeted away and said, you come listen to me. She's out there yelling at people on the street corner while people are going up and down their business, going to work, going home, going to buy their shopping, whatever it is, taking the kids to school. She's yelling at them. She's public and she's passionate about her task. It says she cries aloud. Let's be honest. We've all known women who've cried aloud. We know that's aloud, don't we? We know that can be passionate. We know what that can be about. And she goes to the most prominent places. It says she goes to the market. Well, that's where all the commerce would have taken place. You didn't have Amazon. Guess what? I had, I had a delivery this morning on a Sunday before I came to church from Amazon. They deliver on. They do that now. It just comes to your door. Not then. No, no. Everything. You had to go and get it. So the marketplace where you got everything. You want to buy something, you have to go to the market. And she's in the market, yelling. It says she's at the city gate, which kind of represents sort of where they, 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 they contested legal matters and, and, and made pronouncements like that. 
So she's there too at the entrance of the city where everyone comes in, everyone goes out. Where the kind of the, the wise, the elders, they sat there. And she's there talking to them, yelling at them. She wants as many people to respond as possible. And she's talking to every area of life. Every sphere of life is being dealt with. This voice is going out. And I don't know if you've ever come across someone who's really loud and good at um, kind of projecting their voice. You've ever heard kind of town criers or the like. I had this experience a few years back. Which is quite a few now, I'm getting old. It's quite a few years back when I went to a wedding and they had a wedding announcer. I don't know if you've ever come across one of them, like a master of ceremonies kind of guy. And he had a proper red-coated suit with the tights and the, the, the waist jacket and he looked, he looked a bit silly. But, you know, he was all very impressive. We're in this hotel. And it was back in the day um, when there's a whole group of us and we're all single and the, kind of the first ones were getting married. So we all got invited to this wedding and I turned up there long before I met Melanie. And as you went in to do the receiving line where you had bride and groom and then mother of the bride, mother, father, bride, mother, father, groom, etc., etc., bridesmaids and best man, and you'd, you'd go and say, congratulations. You'd run out and say after the third person. You, know, you must be very proud. You know. But as you came into the room where the dining table was, you had to go down a couple of little steps and into the room. And as you came into the room, the announcer would grab you as you walked in and said, what's your name? And you'd tell him. And then he would announce it to everyone. And because you had to kind of, you had to pair up, we all had to kind of suddenly get in a pair. You can go in on your own, right, we'll pair up. And so he'd ask your name and ask the person next to you, and then he would announce it as you'd go into the room. So I'd come in the room, what's your name, Stuart Crane? And he'd said, Mr. Stuart Crane! And whoever the girl I was with, Miss so-and-so, so-and-so. And you're like, flipping heck, okay. And so then you go down the stairs. But the problem was, when you got to the receiving line to say hi to the bride and groom, he's announcing the next person. So you're trying to say... I'm so pleased, it was a lovely wedding, don't you look gorgeous? And he's yelling about the next person. And so basically the receiving line was totally redundant because you're going down, you say, congratulations, Mr. So-and-so, and you're on to the next person. He's announcing the next person, but his voice just carried. And then when we had the, um, you know, we have the, the ceremony, the, no, the toasts and the, the speeches, he would stand up and say, pray be silent for the father of the bride. And we're like, okay. But his voice would carry over everything. And the woman is like that in the street. Her voice is yelling and she is carrying over all things. Her voice rises above everything. And what's she doing? She's preaching a sermon. So let's look at her sermon. It begins with a plea. It begins with a plea. She's saying, okay, look, listen to me. And her plea says to the simple or the gullible, stop rejecting my message. Now, in the previous section, it was kind of aimed at the young. He's now, she's now moved on to kind of a wider audience. This includes adults. And she says, how long? So basically, I've been doing this again and again and again, and you're not listening. Any parents identify with that? <laughs> Just saying. But she's saying, look, you're not getting it. I keep telling you again and again and again. But unfortunately, it says they love being simple. They would desire sin over God. They desire folly over the wisdom that God has for them and how they live a life. And they're play- these, these gullible, simple folk are played alongside scoffers, it says, or mockers. People like to tear down and call, um, just, just destroy with their words. And then you've got the fools. They hate knowledge. They hate the understanding. They hate the way God would have them live their life. And it says they delight in these things. They delight in their scoffings. They have a strong craving. They love it. They love to just hack things down, mock, laugh at, tear down with their words. Subject things to derision. 
And they're just there, and he's calling to them. And these people living indulgent lies, lazy lies, silly lies, wasted lies, and she's trying to intrude into them and say, listen to me, listen to me. And she's calling them, it says in verse 23, what? To turn back, to turn away. She says, turn at my reproof. And what's that word there? That's a physical turning. Turn away from what you're doing. And there's a spiritual sense to that. And what's the other word we use, New Testament word, to describe that? When you're turning away, it's repentance. And she's basically saying, repent, turn away from the direction of your life is going and come back to me. Listen to me. Wisdom is not looking for perfect people. It's looking for responsive people. None of those people were perfect. The fools, the scoffers, you know, the foolish. No, but she's saying, turn back, follow me. Just be responsive to my words. Listen to me. And she said she's actually using the word reproof or rebuke. She's basically effectively telling them off. Turn back. What you're doing is wrong. Bring correction. You're going the wrong way. Turn back to me. And the very act of actual turning, if they did turn, would be that act of humility, of showing that they've kind of, you know, they've come back to them. And said, what's on offer? He says, I will pour out my spirit. The spirit will be poured out. It's a very simple plea. Turn away. You can receive the spirit. And I will make my words known to you. What is on offer? She's basically offering salvation. She's saying, come, walk with me. You'll know my words. You'll know wisdom. You'll know wise ways. You'll know the ways of God. And I will pour out my spirit on you so those words will be known to you. They'll dwell in you. They won't just be things around here. There'll be something in you, in your life. But unfortunately, they don't. So then there's the, the back half comes a rejection to them. A rejection. What are the consequences? The hearers, they've just hardened their hearts. They point blank, refuse to listen. She's been going on and on, and they're just they're not responding. And it's like, she's, like she said, she, I've stretched out my hand, and they've like slapped it away. I'm not interested in your help. I don't want you. I don't want any part of you, wisdom. And so actually then there are consequences to, her actions, to their actions from her words. And it says, I've recalled you, refused to listen, stretched out my hand. And it says, you haven't come for my calamity. And it says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Now, just to clarify, there's not a perverseness on the part of wisdom actually in delighting in others, you know, kind of misery. It's actually a laugh of actually of right triumphing over wrong. And actually your way as being the proof of your way is, is, is in the consequences of your life. And actually, if you'd done what we'd asked, it wouldn't have happened quite like that. And she's basically saying a sudden and great loss is going to come upon you. And she's using blunt and harsh words for them to effectively wake them up. That's what she's saying, wake up. It's like when Levi was running for that river. If anything, I could just say, wake up. Do you not see what you're going to? And he had no idea. And she's yelling and saying, look, this is what's going to come upon you. She lays it out in graphic fashion. This is what's going to happen, hopefully in a way to freak them out to the point of saying, I need to do something about this. The consequences of my actions have a huge bearing. And she's saying a judgment will come upon you. Your deeds will come back to bite you. And if you look at the kind of final line of a sermon, verse 27, it describes a kind of a place of extreme terror that will come upon them. It says distress and anguish will come upon you. It's horrible. It said you will, you will reap the rewards of your actions. 
And it's not going to be pretty. C.S. Lewis, a Christian author, described it like this. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. And that's basically what wisdom is saying to them. You act like this, fine. This is what's going to happen to you. And it's really horrible. And then after that, you've got the next section. She reflects on her sermon. She's preached it. And if you look at verse 24, it says, I call and you refuse to listen. You go down to verse 28. It says, when they're in that really horrible place of terror, it says, they will call upon me. And what? I won't answer. I called, you didn't listen. You're now going to call, I'm not going to listen. You're going to bear the kind of consequences of your action. You didn't respond when wisdom was calling, so in times of judgment, you will not, uh, not, wisdom will not respond to you. God will not respond to you. Verse 29, if you go back to verse 7, about the fear of the Lord, beginning of knowledge, look at verse 29. It says, they hated knowledge, and they didn't choose the fear of the Lord. It's kind of the opposite. One was on offer, that's what you have. They've basically gone the complete opposite. We reject it. They've outright rejected God, rejected his wisdom, rejected his knowledge. They are unrepentant in their sin of what they're going to do. Look at verse 31. It says, they shall eat the fruit of their way. That phrase, you are what you eat, <laughs> never been more powerful right there. You're going to eat the fruit of your way. The way you've chosen to live your life will bear a horrible, horrible, horrible kind of consequence for you. They planned to have an abundant life. Remember that previous section? There were those who said, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll get unjust gain. We'll, we'll kill, we'll destroy, we'll steal from people for ourselves. Actually, they're not going to end up with that. What they're going to end will be judgment. And then you finally have the last couple of verses there. It says, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and, and will be at ease without dread or disaster. Those who don't listen, the fools, the mockers, the gullible, the simple, those who choose to reject the way of God are unrepentant, will reap the consequences of that. But it says, whoever listens to me, there's even hope there at the end. If you listen to me, you will dwell securely, you will be at ease, there will be peace and comfort in what you're doing, in how you're living your life, and at the end, when judgment comes, you will find security in me because you've listened to me. And this is really reminiscent of a short Um, The story that Jesus told, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24, 27, he says, Everyone who hears my words and does them will be what? Like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Basically kind of echoing exactly what had been said there by wisdom in that part. All right, a couple of points of application and then we will finish. Number one, Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. That voice that wisdom is giving out is still going out today. It's still going out. Jesus is the one speaking. He is calling to us. He is calling to all people everywhere. What's on offer? It says in verse 23. What's on offer? Number one, salvation. The turning. We are to repent of our sins and come to him for salvation. We will find forgiveness. 
we will find freedom. We will find uh, a family with a father in heaven who loves us. We will have a future that is secure. All the stuff we looked at on the Freedom in Christ course that we can have because of what God has done will be ours when we come to him. A great thing to joy. He said there will be a spirit that will be poured out. What does that language remind you of? Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, which was quoting from the prophet Joel. Saying, I will pour out my spirit on the church. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself, with us. All times. That's what he's on offer. I'm saying, I'm offering you myself. I will be with you. I will dwell with you. You will know me personally. And the last thing he adds there is knowing God's word. Jeremiah 31:33. there was the prophecy from Jeremiah looking forward to it. There'll be a time when God won't write the law on tablets of stone that you read, that are set up there. They'll be written on, the, on your heart. You will know them within you. And that's what happens when the Spirit comes. It takes the Word of God. We have the Bible, which we study and read, but actually he takes that very well and he implants it in our heart. We're transformed from the inside. There's something deeper available with God, not just a book that can sit on our shelves, but actually a relationship with him. We can know the words of God. We can hear a father speaking to us through it, talking to us as his children. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's all about relationship. And that is what Jesus is offering you today. Following Jesus is a one-off decision, but it's also a daily lifestyle. It's not something that you do sometime in the past and then ignore. We make a one-off decision where we make a decision, we're going to repent of our sin, we're going to turn away, we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to receive forgiveness, receive that declaration not guilty, receive a Father in heaven, receive the Holy Spirit, but then we have to walk a daily lifestyle, saying, actually, come on, we're going to do this day by day. Philippians says we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We've received it, but we're to work it out as well. We're to do the things of salvation. We're reading our Bibles and prayer and coming to church and doing the works. Not, a, not as a tick list. It's not a tick list. If I do that, I'm a Christian, I need to do that. It's not a tick list we do, but it's the food that causes us to survive. We do this thing because it enables us to be a Christian, to be learning, growing, being part of a church community. And my question to you today is, what is God calling you to do today? The voice of wisdom is calling out to you. What is it today? Do you need to make that decision to become a Christian? I've never done that before. That's what's on my agenda. Is there something else in your life that God is calling to you? The voice of wisdom is going out saying, come on, do this. And you know what it is. Something in your work, something in your home, something in your lifestyle, something you need to take on, something you need to stop doing. Wisdom's yelling at you. Top of their voice saying, stop it. What is it that wisdom is calling to you today? Second one, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The reason for judgment is that God intensely hates sin and evil. He is perfectly pure and perfectly holy, and therefore he cannot stand sin and evil in his presence. And the reality is for us, when you step back from this, sometimes people get like God's judgment wrath it immediately turns people off. They don't like it, even though it's in the Bible, which always causes people's problems. It's actually, we all feel the same. When you hear the stories on the news and you read them, you know, stories of terrorist attacks or people lying, deceiving and rape and murder and, 
and just sex trafficking and on and on it goes. MPs lying and fiddling expenses. There's something in you that thinks that's wrong. We need to do something about it. Someone needs to be held to account. Someone needs to be punished. Someone needs to do some time for this. Something needs to go on. And, and we feel that just the same. What we don't like is just when it's against us. That's the problem. We love it when it's that person over there. Do you know what? They really are bad. They should be punished. That's right. They are sinful. They've done something wrong. Let's punish them. But then when the finger suddenly comes back and actually think, do you know what? You're just as sinful as well. You make all these mistakes. You do all this stuff wrong. We suddenly get very uncomfortable with that and think, actually, oh, we don't like it. But actually, God hates sin because he's perfectly pure and very holy and that he hates ours as well. And this other thing, this whole idea of kind of judgment isn't just a, an Old Testament thing. People write that up and say, well, it's, just, it's in the Old Testament Bible, which is the, the long, boring, strange bit. You know, like, you know, like the family member that you don't like to talk about, but they're there. They're part of the family, but we don't talk about them, and we pretend like they're not there. And we like the New Testament because that's love and hugging and you know, kissing and stuff, and that's warm. And Jesus is in that bit. You know, but actually, no, it's the story of the whole Bible. John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Yay! Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's in the New Testament. Some of your Bibles, that's in red. Jesus said it. And actually, here's the thing. It's something, God's judgment, God's wrath, God's hatred sin is something we should praise him for. It's something we should worship him for. It's something we should celebrate that he has this aspect to his character. The reason is this. If God did not hate sin, then what would the situation be? He would either be a God who delighted in sin or a God who's not bothered by it. Neither of those things are good. Neither of those things are are right of a God who's worthy of worship. God hates sin, he hates evil, and he will one day judge all of it. The good news is, if you're a believer here, that's already been dealt with. That's already been dealt with on the cross. The punishment has already been paid by Christ. We stand before God not guilty. That's what justification is about. Not guilty. Not on our own merits, not because you're nicer or better than the person next to you, but on Christ's merits because he was perfect and he was righteous and he died in our place paying the punishment for our sin. So that's the good news for us today. So we have nothing to fear from that judgment. The more good news is, if you're not a believer here, is God is patient. Psalm 103 says he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And the reality is he is patient with us today. He is patient with his children and he is patient with those who don't know him. But the reality is judgment is coming. And one day that will end. And for us as believers, we need to be, be, live in light of that. And my question to you today is, what do you need to get right with God? Do you need to get everything right with God? Are you become a Christian? Do you need to deal with that? Or are there things in your life? I think I'm a believer. There are things in your life God has been saying, come on, let's get this straight. Let's get this right. Consider this morning wisdom shouting at you. Get it dealt with. Deal with it. Put it right. Repent. Turn away. Get things right with God. And the last one, Jesus is our refuge. Verse 33 says, But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be, will be at ease without dread of disaster. 
Our house is built on a rock. We have nothing to fear from the future. We have nothing to fear at judgment. We have nothing to fear in eternity. We have a loving Father who knows us. He hears our prayers. He knows where we're going and he will one day kind of take us to be with him forever. We have that hope. We have that security. Those who listen to wisdom, we are aware of judgment. We are aware of what's going to come. We need to be mindful of that and not ignorant of that. But actually we know that we have a future that is secure. And God is our refuge and he is our hope and he is our treasure. And my question to you today is, what do you need from him? What do you need from him? Because he is a loving father and he says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Whatever you want, whatever you need, come to me. I will provide, I will, I will, I will love you, I am for you, I watch over you. What do you need today? This Wednesday we're going to be gathering as a church to pray for some of our corporate needs on a Wednesday. But I'm asking you today, is there anything that you need? Because God is available Wisdom is calling and saying, come to me. And the wise decision today is to get some of this stuff dealt with. Whatever God's put on your heart, whatever God's put on your mind, whatever's making you feel uncomfortable right now, that's probably what God wants to deal with. And we're going to have a time of worship and response now. And I want us just to pray into some of those things. So do you want to stand up? And we'll let the band come and get ready. And I'm just going to lead us in a little bit of prayer and then we're going to worship and see whatever else God wants to do with us as a people. Okay, maybe you just want to close your eyes, open your hands. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the voice that cries out. You are the voice that cries out in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, wherever we go. You're the one crying out above everything, saying, come to me, come to me come to me. Lord, we thank you for your patience towards us. We thank you that your love towards us, that you just do not give up. You just keep going again and again and again. And you will just keep speaking, Lord Jesus. And I thank you. And I pray, God, today that you would pour out your spirit on us as a people. We thank you for that promise that has been fulfilled and is available to us today as your people. Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would pour yourself out on us. Lord, make that Make your word known to us, that reality of having written on our heart, God. I pray you'd make that fresh to us today, Lord Jesus. Lord, I just want to put out to everyone here, like, what is God calling you to do today? If you know you need to become a Christian, I'd love you to come. Maybe grab me, Melanie, at the end. would love to talk to you about that. If you're a believer here and you know there's some things God's put on your heart, maybe you just want to start talking to him about them, you know things that you need to do if there are things that you need to get right with God today maybe you wanted to start dealing with that knowing that forgiveness is available restoration is available get them right with God if you know there's something you need from him in terms of God is your refuge Jesus is your refuge just talk to him today do you need comfort do you need strength do you need guidance do you need healing do you need money do you need what is it what do you need because he is your refuge. He is the place you go. 
Do you just need to know him close to you today? <laughs> Do I just need your presence in a difficult time? Maybe some of you are facing the storm that that little story from Jesus was about, though the wind and the wave batter, and you need Jesus as a rock <laughs> to cling to in the time of trouble. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here today. God, we pray you come minister to your people. We're going to sing songs. We're going to worship. We're going to hear from you, God. We pray, Holy Spirit, you, you just come dwell with us at this time, that we know your presence, we know your touch. Lord God, and we ask you just come set your people free. Lord Jesus, lift us up where we're down. Speak comfort in the midst of trial. Speak encouragement when, you know, we feel like we're floundering. If we're feeling good and going for it, God, would you just fill our sails afresh to keep going with you? We love you, Lord.